Some songs just never get old, do they? It's so good to see you. Good morning. Before we open uh, scripture, if you would open it to uh, Acts chapter 18 when we get to that, let me uh, give you a little plug uh, for tonight and uh, also for uh, next Sunday. Uh, I think uh, most of you are aware now, if you have paid attention, that we will pick up on the uh, telling God's story again next Sunday evening. And we will do that at six o'clock. Uh, we have given it a little time here after the new year begun so that you would have time to, in, to invite people. There are a number of people who participated in that who are members of churches that do not have a Sunday night service. We want to make sure you are able to uh, invite them back and we can have a packed church again like we have had uh, on these Sunday nights. Tonight, uh, you will uh, rejoice in knowing that uh, Dr. Reed will be here and, and share with you tonight. I, um, I'll be off uh, trying to figure out something nice to do for my wife who is stay with me for a long time now, right? What they call anniversaries, I guess, yes? Um, you know, as I say, it used to be that, that I could say to students, you know, I was married before you were born, right? And then now I can say that to the parents, and you know, now I can say it to my colleagues that, you know, uh, anyway, it just goes with, with being born uh, in 1800 and something. Um, <laughs> But God has been good, and, and uh, we will we'll try to celebrate a little bit um, later today and, and tomorrow. But uh, it is certainly good to be here. Next Sunday, of course, if I can shamefully give a plug also for Andre, since I'm pretty sure he's not going to do it. Uh, everybody needs to be here to celebrate Andre next Sunday, yes? Everyone, both those of you who are here and everyone you know, Right? Um, that, would be, that would be very special both in the morning and in the afternoon as you come a little early and stay for the evening service. I want to talk to you today about two people, Priscilla and Aquila. Last Sunday we talked about Timothy and I was struggling like I was last Sunday a little bit. What, what should I call this? Um, should I call this, as we did here, an example of a Christian couple? Most people think, now, this is going to be a sermon about marriage. It's really not so much. Maybe should I call it a modeling a Christian home, uh, which is probably as close uh, as anything, or, or some maybe home for life, uh, being a home for the sake of life, not only for duration, which, of course, we'd like for it to be, but, but um, for the sake of life. We talk a lot about the importance of good homes. Yes, we know this is a cornerstone of a great society, it's a society filled with good, strong homes. But I think sometimes we get confused by that and we think of wonderful houses instead of strong homes. Or we think of wealthy families or wealthy homes instead of good, strong homes. I know people friends who have majestic houses, but really they're kind of, quote, homeless, right? We don't necessarily think of homelessness in that way, but, but it is actually possible. 
There's something about that whole thing about belonging, a place where this is yours. And you have roots there. As one of the old Danish anthems says, this is where I have my roots. This is where my home is. Belonging and purpose very often goes together in a strong way. According to scripture, of course, the marriage is constituted by God himself and function in God's plan as the most intimate and close relationship that could possibly exist between people. In the Christian marriage, it is God who joins a man and a woman. And the two shall be one, as the Bible so clearly says. That, of course, does not mean that people who are not married, for some reason, are lesser uh, or cannot create a home just as strong, just in a different way. In fact, when you think about it, and if you read Paul ever, you'll see a strong, heavy, important emphasis on also living a single life. In fact, he kind of elevates that and says, well, if you don't quite have the gift for that, if you're not quite able to do that, well, maybe you should get married. But he's really doing that. And we have a tendency to, to sidetrack that and, and not treating it with the same kind of power and, and emphasis as Paul does. Uh, the Bible is pretty clear that this is how it is. But having said that, I doubt we can exaggerate the importance of a Christian marriage and a Christian home. In fact, the biblical emphasis of people's relationship with God is so strong that the Old Testament kind of can't find out a way to explain God's relationship to his people outside of that. When God is trying to explain that he's dissatisfied with the lack of faithfulness and the lack of commitment that his people has toward him, the imagery that is, that is used is that of a partner in a marriage where one is unfaithful or having adulterous affairs because they're not faithful to the other. So it's hard to even understand God and his relationship with us outside that kind of imagery. In the New Testament, of course, as we know, the church is presented as the bride and Christ as the groom. This is pretty significant. The intimate relationship that should exist between Christ and his church found its explanation in many ways in what God has created and constituted for the marriage. The church thus is the extension, if you will, of the Christian home. And that, friends, should be our vision, should it not? You know, what do you call a home where someone feels not quite a part of it? We call that dysfunctional, do we not? A home where someone feels that, well, I'm there sometimes, but I'm not really in where I said, that's mine. Now, we are very careful in good homes to take, make sure that does not happen, that everybody's loved, everybody's included. We are us. You don't come home. You are part of a home, right? You don't attend your home. You are part of the family that is there. 
And so that's the vision also uh, for the church. There's a key function here, and I want to talk to you about that this morning, somewhat in extension of what we did last Sunday with Timothy and his youthfulness. Maybe here we can simply talk about an incredible example of a Christian couple or Christian home and how that works. What's going through your mind when you hear that term? What are you thinking about? I'm giving you a minute very deliberately. Something is going on. That term conjures up images in your mind, and there's something you think about with this. Let me read to you about a couple in the early church. Chapter 18 of Acts, if you found it by now, and verse 18, and I'm going to read down through verse 26. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. Then he left his brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. And before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cancrea because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, and he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And then he set sail from, from Ephesus. And when he landed at Caesarea, he went, up to, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. I don't know if you caught that. You mean he went to Jerusalem, right? Because you always go up to the holy hill, right? Nothing to do with north and south, right? Yes? And then he went back down to Antioch, which is far north of that, right? Just so we get it. Anyway, that was a free lesson on the side. <laughs> After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia and strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus he was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he, did not, he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Priscilla, or Prisca as she is also called in, in other contexts, along with her husband Aquila, is one of the most powerful examples that we have of a Christian couple, or I would rather say here really of a Christian home, an example of the enormous effect that such a home can have on their surroundings and on the church. And we meet this couple in six different contexts in the New Testament. They're normally just named as Priscilla and Aquila, and we kind of know that. 
That means that the wife is mentioned first. We don't necessarily think much of that since, you know, in our culture, that's a good thing that, you know, women first. And we, we try to do a little bit still of chivalry, right? Just a little bit. Four of you are doing that, right? <laughs> but in the time of, of the antiquity, this was not just a, an expression of, of courtesy. This was kind of unheard of. And when they therefore swapped the sequence of naming or mentioning these two people, there was a reason for it. It could mean one or two things. It could either be that Priscilla came from a very, very wealthy family and had great repute and great uh, people knew about her because she came from this family of great nobility. And that, of course, in itself was an expression of the transforming power of the gospel. Don't miss this. These are these little things in the text we can easily miss. Outside of Christian circles, it was all but unheard of that people would marry outside of their social standing, outside of that kind of group of families that belonged at their level, so to speak. But when it came to the church, at the door, you had to check off all this stuff, right? There was no room in the church, those who belonged to Christ, to be divided along social rank and other kind of things. There is no distinction between slave or free or man and male or female or Jew and Gentile. All of that stopped. And this is not just Paul insisting on, this is how it looks when we follow Christ. This is the kind of a basic foundational thought throughout Scripture. You'll see it again and again, that in the Christian church, we all stand before Christ. And there is no one who should ask the question, who are you in terms of social standing outside these community. What really matters when you stand before Christ is your commitment. It is your surrender to Christ. That's what God is looking at. He does not consider all these other things that we sometimes take as important. So we got a testimony here from the early church where not only people of different social layers are sitting next to one another in the church, where they belong to one another in the community, even have, are engaging in marriages outside of the social level. The gospel has a transforming power that goes to the core of all things, even to the smallest details of society. We need to kind of heal this. I don't know if you're aware of this or you thought of that. Luke chapter 8, verse 3, mentions Joanna, the wife of Cusa, who was a household manager of Herod. Are you getting the connection? That she is the supporter of Jesus. When Jesus 
and his disciples were walking around. How do you think they found money and help to eat and function? These were supporters. The wife of the household manager in the house of Herod. Get that. And see, she now is on level ground with the disciples of Jesus. God's power to transform lives goes to the core of everything. It's not just, well, I kind of feel oozy-woozy in my heart and I know that I'll have a place to be with God when I die. This goes through the way we think about all things. Even whatever differences you may have, maybe even whatever disparities and, and discrepancies you may have in your marriage. God's power can change that. There could be another reason why Priscilla's name is mentioned first. Most likely, she was the outgoing force in that home and probably in the Christian church. That's true also of today, is it not? Can I say a word about this? All you women, just, you don't have to listen. This is for the guys. Guys, wake up. You can't just be sitting around and letting the women do it all. I ought to have a lot of amens for that. <laughs> I served a church one time when a woman was, she was the CEO of a very large company, very large company. She was just running stuff. And she came to me and said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I said, what is it? And she said, you know my job, and I did, they were active in church, family. And she said, you know, when I got there, not only am I organizing everything, telling all these guys to do stuff, because, you know, that's my job, and I do that. But I have to be kind of the spiritual power. I set the ethos of the whole company. I have to bring some of that spirit stuff into the company, or they would just be doing their stuff, and there will be no spirit. Now I'll come home. And you know my husband, he's a great guy, and he was. But he really likes when he comes home. She's kind of plump in the chair and watch some TV. And when he talks to the kids, he really enjoys talking about football or some other sports. And when he has to spend time with him, he'd like to do something that he likes. And, and I have to kind of organize all things. But not only that, I have to kind of bring the spirit into stuff. Not only set the ethos for the home. Are you hearing me? If there's going to be spiritual conversation, I'm driving it. If we're going to have the guys praying, I'm driving it, right? You're remarkably quiet right now. It's a good reminder, friends. Guys, let's wake up. Her last remark was, I don't get it, what she said. It seems as if guys are fine with just letting the girls do all the jobs. 
And she meant that in the best way. The pie's a great home. I, I'm not mentioning that. But boy, it gave me something to think about, didn't it? Not only organizing all the things, but setting the spirit and the ethos. And bringing in the deep spiritual conversation and prayers. Is that true in our church? I'm not going there. Okay. Um, Actually, that was somewhat of a side remark. I just felt like I had to kind of get there for a little bit. If you look at the first uh, few verses of chapter 18 again, nothing really hints that Aquila uh, was not a mature, strong, spiritual Christian. In fact, he stands here somewhat as an example of all that. Priscilla and Aquila were most likely uh, converted to Christian faith or came to know Christ through the work of the church in Rome. Aquila had a company there. They made leather stuff. Let me just read what it says here. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met, he met a Jew named Aquila. I'm in verse 1 of chapter 18. A native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Now Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, in 49, Claudius gave an edict that forced all Jews to leave Rome. And so Priscilla and Aquila left, and they found another major business city in the world. It was Corinth. And here they met Paul, and they joined work since they were doing the same thing. And then at day, they worked together at night, They shared faith together. And you know, from that work came this tremendous church in Corinth that you can read about. We got a couple of letters in in the New Testament that Paul wrote to them, and he wrote several, as is indicated there also. And then after a few years in Corinth, when they had their business up and running, they moved from there to Ephesus. And here again, we hear about them, that they are eagerly and vehemently engaged in sharing the gospel and helping the church that are there. I think maybe what happened was that Paul convinced them that this was a great opportunity as he was moving to Ephesus, that they could do the same thing and start a business there and and take opportunity of that. After all, Ephesus was one of the grandest cities of the globe at that time. I'm going to ask you a little bit. Is it possible for you to be inspired by a home or a couple like that? Two people to whom the faith in Jesus Christ was the most important thing in their lives. They were normal people. They took care of their jobs. That filled their day. Studies actually in the business life of that first century 
suggest actually that it was most likely that when, when uh, Claudius asked him to leave Rome, they set some manager up to run their business there. And they did the same when they left Corinth. And so now they're taking care of their business in Ephesus. In other words, these are international business people that are running a big leather business from all over the place in what we would call the known world at that time. And so, here's a home, friends, who is busily engaged in their normal jobs, even a strong, very demanding job. But there's never, ever, ever any doubt about the priorities in their lives. That remained clear. When it came to who was to have the first place in their life, it was always God and his kingdom and God's church. The business was important to them, obviously so, but it was never as important as the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. He remained the most important thing. And their work in the church was number one. Can you notice this couple with me at this Christian home? Their unselfish lifestyle. Paul is even referring to that. That they risked their lives for him. When he's writing to the church in Rome here, right? He said, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Are we getting this? What a home. What a home. Notice the importance. All the churches are grateful to them. I remember, and this may be a good day to remember that. When we were getting married back in 1822, <laughs> we sat down and talked about what do we want our home to radiate? What do we want the spirit of our home to be? What do we want people to see and to hear when they come visit us? I was studying to become an engineer uh, in the master's program for that. But we said, that can't be it. That will be what I do, but it can't be what our home is all about. There's so many things, friends, that can steal our time. That's why we thought it's important that we sit down and say, this is what we want from the home that God is going to create through us and with us. If you want an example of a home that made a difference, look at Priscilla and Aquila. We're just getting a few kind of pictures, little vignettes, if you will, but it gives us tremendous insight into their lives. One picture comes from the text that we read right here in chapter 18 in the, in the last verses. Apollo, 
is this enormously astute young man who has been taught all these things. He knew all the rhetoric that was, a fantastic speaker, and he taught the scriptures accurately. He had come to be convinced that Jesus was the promised Messiah, and so he walked around and talked about this. Now what happens? Here's his home, and they go and they listen to him. And they see what he says is good and is so convincing, but something is not quite there. So what did they do? They invite him home. They take him to their home. Did you notice this? They heard him and they invited him to their home and explained to him the way more accurately. Their home was a kingdom place. Their time was spent as kingdom workers. Whatever else they did was important, but this had first place. How long has it been, friends, since you invited a new Christian to your home to talk to them about the Lord? And to guide them and to help them and to encourage them in their walk with Christ. How long has it been? How long has it been since you even took another couple and when they came to your home, instead of talking about all the smack we normally talk about, sorry, can I say that word? We talk about the things of the Lord. Encouraging one another in the faith. So we leave and, and stronger We'll not spend the time. That, you know, I, I meet people sometimes. They can give me stats of football games. They're 10, 20, 15 years old. I mean, just a long time ago. This guy played this guy. There was this many on this base. With this game. And I asked them for three Bible verses. They can't for the life of me give me three Bible verses. How do we spend our time? I don't say this as any kind of, kind of adjustment. I don't mean it like that. I mean it as an encouragement. Look at this couple. Look at them and be inspired. No church is ever stronger than the homes that it consists of. If you were to describe that, what is a Christian home explanation? What would you say? What would you write down? And how would it square? with what you have in your own home. Look at these people. They're amazing when you think about it. Always interested in seeing how they could impact their surroundings, church members, and those around it. A real home that had something to give. Not only were they active in evangelism every day, but when they saw other Christians who needed spiritual guidance or just encouragement in their faith, they were there with their home. They had opened their home. I'm thinking sometimes that we've gotten to this point where the home is this closed up little, our private space instead of being the sharing space, right? I meet people every so often, they, 
have this fantastic home. And pretty much it's a sleeping place. They don't even eat at home anymore. Just go home and stop. There'll be room for all kinds of groups, all kinds of people. But that's not what it's for. Doesn't it burn in your heart when you see this? When you hear people like this, it, it, it sets me on fire. I, I can't help it. They're there. Their eagerness is to experience God's presence and see that he changes people's lives. Old little pocket philosophy that we may say, well-meaning, yeah, don't do this, you should do is nothing in terms of changing people's lives. Christ alone changes people's lives. Let's share him. One more picture, if you will, in, in chapter 16, at the very end of, of 1 Corinthians, when Paul is, is speaking here again and just kind of mentioning them in passing, it kind of follows straight up to what we have just said. Verse 19, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets in their house. Once again, whether they were in Rome or in Corinth or in Ephesus, they gathered a part of the church in their home for spiritual learning and to, to sing and to praise and to worship God. What a home, friends. Their doors were wide open. Here's a couple. Here's a home whose heartbeat was that they would be a place where they would meet, where people would meet God in the strongest way. They saw their home even as an incubator for other Christian homes. Well, they could see this is how you do a Christian home. We're so busy nowadays, are we not? And some of you I know are thinking, well, you know, we, you just don't get it. I mean, you can't use these biblical illustrations to, to talk about now. It's, life is different. You know, we're different now, really. We're not that many running international businesses on the side. They were busy people. They took care of their, their jobs. They took care of, of many things, but they never confused what was first. There's so many things that make us busy, and sometimes you have to ask the question, what is more important? Do we have homes as places where people meet to read God's Word together? pray together to grow in the Christian faith. A home for the sake of life. An example of a Christian couple, however you want to put this. There's an old hymn uh, that, that we may still have in our hymn book. God, give us Christian homes. A home where the Bible is love and taught. The home where the master's will is sought. A home where beauty, um, a home 
uh, where the beauty of your love is wrought. God give us Christian homes. I hope you can get inspired, friends, by things like this. Normal couple, normal jobs, normal business, normal problems, but extraordinary commitment, extraordinary willingness to serve, extraordinary impact in their society and in the church, extraordinary in their support of the church. A couple that was very clear of what was first. A lot of important things. A lot of things that, that can't be let go of. We can't always find time to do it all, can we? Neither could they, friends. But they knew what was first on the list. And we sometimes think, well, you know, it's different. Well, if you're still stuck in that, even today, there are literally millions of people who are in what they now call and term from inspired from this tent-making ministries. And what they really are, they are people who have their normal jobs or their normal businesses, their, their normal kind of things that they have started, whatever it is, but they look at whatever else they do as just a way that enables them to do ministry. So the way they do their business, they get given up, they make money so that they can have time for doing ministry. Whatever else comes their way is all there to aid that. God has given us abilities, given us means and all so that we're able to use these abilities, these gifts, these means, money to serve him and to expand his kingdom. It's all about what comes first, friends. I say these things, hopefully, as a word of inspiration. If you're thinking, oh, I can't do all that, that's not the point. Be inspired by this, one step at a time. Priscilla and Aquila, or Aquila and Priscilla, our home. An example. Can your home be that kind of an example? Just imagine. How many homes are we here? A lot, right? What would happen if this description of their home was the description of all our homes in Nacogdoches? You think the town would change? You think East Texas might change? I think so. Don't you? I think so. There's something to be inspired by right here. We're going we're gonna, to uh, sing a song. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I see I ran over a couple of minutes, so I'm sorry about that. Spent these moments here. Maybe you need to grab the hand of a friend or a spouse or someone and say, this is what we want for our home. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. There may be some of you who said, I don't have that kind of purpose. I don't know the Lord Jesus Christ that way. Well, here's your chance. Fill your home with purpose. Father, we ask 
that your spirit will empower us, strengthen us, inspire us, Father, to hear these words about two people, active, clever business folks doing their thing, but they never got confused about their priorities. Would you speak to everyone here? Father, young homes, people who are planning to get married, people who have just been married, people who have been married for a long time, and those who are not married. Their homes can be just as strong, Father. Would you allow us to see purpose, what you have given us? May we see that as an extension of the ministry that you have called us to do and to be. I ask if there's someone here who said, I just don't know what he's talking about with that kind of purpose. I never experienced that. Father, call these to a close relationship to you. Those of us who are, who are just kind of grown lax in this, and we're just taking things as they come, and if it doesn't impact anything, so be it. Call us back to a heart-burning, kind of a warm relationship with you. even as we pray now individually. Will you speak to us?